Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is the novelist and scriptwriter Anna McPartland. Her first book, Pack Up the Moon, was published in 2006 and she has since written a further seven novels. Her latest is called Below the Big Blue Sky. She also writes for children under the name Banny McPartland. Most recently she has turned her attention to script writing for TV serial dramas for the BBC and RTE such as Hobie City and Striking Out and she's also written a historical adaptation on the life of Jesus for the American History Channel. Now Anna that's a pretty busy CV and you actually cross a lot of different writing styles in your work. Work. Was that a happy coincidence or was it something you actually set out to do? I, I set out to do it. So I've always wanted to write books, but I've also always wanted to write television and um, kids stories intrigue me. And I thought, wow, I'd love to try that. And I'm just really curious when it comes to writing. And so I hit with the uh, with the fiction first but I was writing scripts at the same time for TV, but they were just kept getting rejected. And then I got the books in and I continued on that. And then I went back to the script writing when I felt established enough to do so. And in terms of the adult fiction, then, when did you start writing then? Um, 155 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that, does it? Yeah, really. <laughs> I think I've always been writing in one way or another. Even when I was a kid, I used to write little stories. Um and I used to write to my mum all the time. And instead of writing about what was happening in school, which was really boring, I would write her this exotic tale of my trip to Paris, which obviously was not happening at all. But she thought it was the best thing in the world. And so I was always doing it. And then I decided when I left school that I wanted to be an actor because I didn't think it was possible to be a writer. I just thought it was far too glamorous and just way above what I was capable of doing, but I thought, sure, everyone thinks I'm a laugh in school, so maybe I'll give that a go. And I didn't really like it as much as I thought I would. Um, and then I became a stand-up comedian, which I really enjoyed. But again, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. And what I realized was that where I'm most at home and where I'm most happy is when I was writing the scripts for the stand-up comedy. And I just thought, why not just tell my stories and just give it a go? And that's what I did. And then I did that in the back of a kitchen Indram Condra for 10 years before <laughs> I got a deal. 10 years, really? It took that long. Why was that? Ten years, kids. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for going to college. <laughs> and uh, why was that? Were you approaching publishers in the meantime? Did they not like the story? Were you tweaking it or what happened? I was tweaking it I was writing you see I was writing everything I was writing screenplays I was writing books I was writing everything all at the same time without having a clue what I was actually doing and I had to actually teach myself because I didn't go to I never even dawned on me to go to a writing class I don't know what is wrong with me like I'm clearly (laughs) slightly simple like it never dawned on me to look online to go look I'm going to try this writing no I was just like no no I'll get it I'll get it I'll get it (laughs) so yeah and I was sending them out um 
but rejection letters used to come on a Friday. It was always like you couldn't make it up. It wouldn't be Wednesday. It would be just in time to wreck your weekend, you know. And I worked on screenplays with another friend of mine and he used to take to the bed for three days when he got criticism, whereas I'd sit in the kitchen and I work on the criticism. And that's probably how I learned was through editors telling me how crap I was. And when they were kind enough to tell me why I was so crap, then I'd go and I'd work on that. But at least you <laughs> took it on board. Some people don't. Oh, 100%. Like, at 100%. And if I had my time again, I would have gone back to college. I would have done, I would have done it a, a completely different way. And would you but have done writing courses, do you think? I think I would, yeah. Right. Because I didn't know what I was doing for a long time. And then it clicked. It was really weird. But wouldn't it have been cool if it could have clicked about seven years earlier? (laughs) (laughs) So when the good time started rolling, then you did get a publishing deal. How did that come about? So again, I send out my scripts and and basically the book, I I sent it out uh, to a number of places. And Poolbeg was the one that got back to me. And um, the publisher there, Paula Campbell, um, she saw something in me, but she was she put it on paper. Look, this is where you're going wrong. This is I don't need to know this. What I want to see is from here. This is where your story lies. And once she did that, I started working on it and I sent her another draft and she said, you're nearly there. And she gave me another couple of pointers and then I knocked it out of the park and she offered me a three book deal. Wow. So how long did it take to get that one finished then once Paula started giving you some some information? I got it done very quickly then because it literally once I knew where to start it, I knew I was I was gone then. I knew exactly what to do. So then I had a brilliant editor. So that makes everything really easy. So that direction really helped. Oh, massively. Yeah, I would always say Paula Campbell gave me huge direction and she was brilliant for it. Yeah, 100 percent grateful for that. So a three book deal. No pressure. <laughs> yet I was working in insurance at the time I was a claims handler for Chubb Insurance um, on Dawson Street and it was really funny because my first book Pack Up the Moon came out and we went straight in at number two it was extraordinary and I was doing all this media but I was literally running from the office I was like listen lads I'll be back in 15 minutes and I'd run and I'd do something with Brian Tuberty on Grafton Street with lion's tea or something and then I'd run back to the office and I'd take a call going job insurance (laughs) (laughs) deal with somebody's claim (laughs) so where'd you find the time to write the second one then that was the hard one the second one was the hard one because there was all this pressure on me to get it done really quickly Uh, I had like a, a pretty good job I needed to make sure that I was doing that right um and yeah that was tough so I wrote the second one and I was exhausted by the end of the second one. I mean, I was really sick and I ended up getting uh, anaphylactic shock um, in the office one day. I was getting this terrible ration and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I used to keep my doctor on Grafton Street because it was beside the office so I could come and go. And uh, I went over to the doctor and I was ambulanced into uh, James's. Um, and it was like my body just collapsed. It just went into an autoimmune response to like dust or something. And I was just exhausted. So I needed to make a decision about whether I wanted to go full time as a writer or, you know, pull pull on the brakes. And of course, I wanted to be a full time writer. 
but you know I was just out the gate you know so um but as it turned out um I got an agent and I got an offer for another two books even just as my second one was just published and I had another book to write for Poobag and I got a big offer from Penguin and that allowed me to leave my job um and to work full time which was extraordinary and in terms of the agent then how did that come about in the middle of all of this did you actively go looking for one well so um i met um what's her name i'm so bad at names and she was an amazing woman you probably know her anita she's a writer she she died a couple of years ago anita notaro yes yeah notaro so i was doing a radio show and she was another guest on it and she said, this was during Pack of the Moon, and she said to me, do you have an agent? And I said, no. And she said, well, you have to have an agent. So you need to get an agent. And I was like, oh, God, OK. And um, she put me in touch with her agent, um, Marianne Gunn O'Connor, who was lovely. And I met her, but she said, look, you have two more books to write. Come back to me then. But then after I wrote Pack of or Apart from the Crowd, and I was so sick, I couldn't wait anymore. So um, I approached Lisa Richards. And then fate took me on and she did the deal for me uh, with Penguin, which meant that I could write full time then. But um, yeah, I, I was just too early out the gate with Marianne. Do you know what I mean? And did you find then having an agent just took that extra bit of pressure off you that you could focus more on the writing? 100%. Um, well, first of all, a few quid made a huge difference because yeah. I was now not working. So I didn't have that pressure. Um, then having an agent was brilliant. And um, so yeah, it meant that I could just write, which was incredible. You know, I'd been doing this in and around an office job, nine to five or nine to six or whatever it was for 10 years. So to be able to just get up in the morning and write, and I didn't find the transition difficult at all. I didn't find, you know, that I was floofing around and going, I was just in it to win it. I was thrilled with myself. So it was my perfect environment. And, uh, I just wrote and wrote. Yeah. And a number of your books were actually published under different names then a few years later, some of the earlier ones. Why was that? So when I took the Penguin deal, um, they wanted new names for the UK releases of some of the books. And looking back, it was a mistake because people got very confused. Right. And you can understand that if somebody likes apart from the crowd, they're going to go and, oh, there is no way to say goodbye. I'll buy that. And then they find it the same bloody book because the online changed everything. So before when you changed a name in the UK, there wasn't really that cross by because Irish people were buying in the shops in Ireland and English people were buying the shops in the UK. But then online started getting so, so big that it was just a big mishmash and people were getting really annoyed. So we, we, I think Penguin rectified that now. So they're back to the old Irish titles. Which makes more sense, really, I suppose, when you think about it. And your work is often described as dealing with like very tough issues. I mean, you're talking about death and grief, but in an uplifting way, because you always seem to find a way to make sure that your characters find humour and hope in the face of what can be quite tragic circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's my signature. So... Um, I always say my subjects can be grim, but my characters are always full of joy, love and laughter. And that's what they are. And that's what I know to be true. So I'm very lucky in that, you know, when you read my story in black and white, it looks like I had the grimmest existence in the world. And then when you 
But when you see me and you see the people who inhabit this world with me, you understand where the writing comes from and that joy. Um, because I'm just surrounded by these massive characters that it doesn't matter what we're going through. It'll be it'll be all right on the night. <laughs> but you actually strike me anyway as a very naturally positive person. Yeah, yeah, I'm real gla- glass half full, like annoyingly so. Like no matter <laughs> what's happening, I'm like, look, on the bright side. And they're like, if you say on the bright side one more time. One more time. <laughs> So the latest book that's out now at the moment is called Below the Big Blue Sky and it's actually a follow-on from your, your previous book The Last Days of Rabbit Haze but it can be read as a standalone, can't it? 100%. I was really careful to write it as a standalone. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And did you feel that you just had more to say about that story? Is that the reason why? Well, it's funny because I've never written a sequel before and um the Last Days of Robert Hayes, just to put it into context, was a book about a 40-year-old woman who was going into, we meet her as she's been driven by her mother into a hospice. And we spend the next nine days with her until she passes away. And it's about a woman coming to terms with her, her the end of her life. And it's about her family struggling to do the same, uh, including her young daughter. And so it's so far so grim, basically. And, and yet these characters, they have a living wake and, and, and there is joy and there's love and there's laughter. And that's what people were captured, captivated by. And it did really, really, really well um, everywhere. It, it just and I go to France and I go to, to all the book fairs there and in Germany and ever. And I'd have queues of people lining up to tell me their stories. They identified, they knew the characters. And I would say like the Irish, we always think like we're the king's crack and nobody else gets the crack bar us. And we are the king's of crack, but people do get it. And it's extraordinary how different nationalities would come up and go, we laugh so hard at that. And that's my mother. And my mother says that, my father's like that. And it was extraordinary. But I still had no intention of writing anything more to do with the Hayes family. And then we lost my mother-in-law three years ago. And the mother in the book, the mighty Molly Hayes, is inspired by my mother-in-law, Terry. And I just wanted to hang with her. That's what I wanted to do. And so the book is, this book is written about the family that Rabbit leaves behind. This is the family that is grieving, that is broken, broken, that is striving to bind themselves back together. And I was grieving when I wrote this book and my family were grieving when I wrote this book. And I watched my father-in-law lose the love of his life, his wife of 50 years. I watched my my husband, who is a mammy's boy and proudly a mammy's boy. He loves his mammy. And the big joke in, in the family by his sisters when we got married was, the priest would have to say, Anna, do you take Donald and his ma to be your lawful wedded husband? <laughs> <laughs> because that's how much he loved her. And the girls to watch his his sisters mourn their mother and the grandchildren mourn their... And she, I mean, she was so beloved. I, I can't express to you, Brita, how powerful this woman was and still is in our lives. And to watch all that and to know of it myself because I lost my own mother at 17 and to miss her the way I missed her because she's just an incredible character who I, I, I have, I just adored. Um, I just thought, yeah, why not? I, I, why not? Why not be with her? Why not hang with her in my head? And why not put down in paper? 
um, this rawness. So I put all of that into this family. And of course, it's not an autobiography. So it's not like, oh, my God, you know, it's it's a fictional story. But everything I know about grief is in this. And the thing about grief is that sometimes when you read about grief or you see a film about grief, it's just relentlessly grim. Mm -hmm. There's no moment of laughter or banter or break or anything. And that's just not true to me. It doesn't feel real to me. I know where that is. I know where the highs and lows are. I know that you can be broken and you can still burst into laughter when somebody comes into the room and they say, say something inappropriate or when somebody that you really care about comes in and they're making it their mission to put a smile on your face. I know what that is. So I feel really comfortable being able to do that so that the reader will say, I recognise that. And as a result, you say you were grieving, obviously, at the time. Did that make it easier or harder to write it? No, it made it really easy because it just poured out of me. I'm not going to lie to you, that book poured out of me. Um, And it was so lovely because um, Terry used to always read the manuscripts of everything that I wrote. So I'd print them off for her and she'd be the first, you know, I had a pal who'd read them on the computer and I had Terry and Terry would go, and she was, she loved books. Like she was always reading. She always had a book in her hand, but she always read mine hot off the printer. And then she'd put her marks on it and big smiley faces or whatever she wanted to do. And um, that was a real thing that we had. And um, when she died, I said it to her eldest daughter, Ruth, I said, would you do me the honor? of being the one to do that in the family. And she was delighted and she said, I would. And she read it and she just said, I just, my mom was back. She was back. Wow. And then my 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 nieces, two of my nieces have just read it and they were just like, that was Nanny. I could hear her. That was Nanny. Oh my God. And when she said, and they're laughing and, and that's just joyful to me. That's just a privilege, you know. And The Last Days of Rabbit Hayes, the original book, that's actually now been made into a movie. Yeah, we're in development. So let's hold our horses on whether it will actually make it. But we're in development. We've got Screen Ireland funding. We have a director attached. And if COVID ever buggers off and there's ever principal shooting done ever again, we might just get a co-production company on board. We have an actress that's really big at the moment that I'm not going to say her name because she is interested, but we haven't locked her down yet. Um, and God knows what'll happen. You know yourself, you're in this business, like it's a long road, but we're we're on the road and we're 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 marching. <laughs> and you're obviously heavily involved in it then. It's not a case that you've handed over the script to somebody it. else. You wrote no, it. I wrote it, yeah. So what happened was after um Pack Up the or not Pack Up the Moon, the last days of Rabbit Hayes did so well internationally. Um, I'm with Curtis Brown now in the UK and Curtis Brown, so I have Sheila um, Crowley as my book agent, but there, I have a TV agent, Jess Cooper there, and I also have a book rights to film agent. Um, and he was getting loads of offers from companies that were interested in doing the movie. And I'd go and I'd take the meetings. And what I realized very quickly was that they would give me a chance to write it but it was written into the contract very quickly that if I didn't rock it on the first go they were going to hand it to somebody else and once I realized that that was non-negotiable I said no and I I phoned a friend of mine 
who I've worked with on a number of things and he's an incredible editor and he has a cartoon company and he's also a writer and he says he does all of these things a producer and blah 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 and he basically said look I'm the king of the cartoons I'm not a movie maker but I swear to you if you let me produce this script with you it will not get made without you and then when when we do something that's going to knock the socks off everyone in the industry then we'll go to the big boys and say jump on board and I said I'm in 100% I'm in because no matter what you do in this business you're taking a risk Mm -hmm. so if I took the money from the big guys I'm taking a risk that that will be taken off me, which it would have been because it took me eight drafts to get it right. And I'm still working on it. So it would have been taken off me. And then I'm risking my voice being mangled by somebody else who would be a brilliant writer and structurally amazing and everything. But can they balance laughter and, and, and tears the way I can? I'm not sure. And I don't want, I don't want my rabbit haze to be destroyed. Um, and I don't care how much money it makes or if it went really big or whatever. I want it to be a small project. Like I look at something like the commitments or something like the snapper or whatever. And I go, that's what I want. I don't want that big Hollywoodized, you know, glamorous, nothing to do with Ireland film. You know what I mean? I do. I want yeah. it to feel real and intimate and with the chips will fall where they may. And that's so that's the risk I'm taking. And it's interesting because we've had other other authors on the show who have said they're happy just to hand over the book and let somebody else do all the work and they'll go to the movie theatre on the day it's released and watch it then. Yeah. And, And I totally and for other people, that's the right thing to do. But for me, I write television. I, I, I'm a script writer. So why would I hand my power away if I know what I'm doing? And, you know, I might not have an Oscar or I might not be a BAFTA winner, but, you know, maybe someday if I do it and if I work hard enough and maybe it'll come to nothing. And maybe that's the chance that I have to take. So that's what I'm doing. And I and I have to say, you know, it, with every draft, I learned something new and I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud that it's retained everything that I wanted to retain in it um, and that it still feels like the book. And I know that people who love the book will come to this film and they won't be disappointed. And that's all I can do. And and maybe they'll never get to come to the film. And maybe it would have been made if I went to one of those bigger companies. But I don't know if they would have been happy with it. And I don't know if I would have been happy with it. In terms of the script writing as well, like you've worked on amazing productions, Holby City, striking mm. out with Amy Huberman and Neil Morrissey. Where did all of, all of that start or how did you make that transition from fiction into script writing? So initially when I uh, got my first and maybe my second book out, I was sending samples to all the producers, still sending samples to all the producers, and I wasn't really getting anywhere. But there was an American girl, and I'm really sorry, I can't remember her name, but she basically liked what I did, and she was very supportive. And she'd give me notes, and I'd turn them around in about 20 minutes and send them back to her, and she was like, my God, you're so quick. And anyway, that stuck in her head how quick I was. And uh, there was, TV3 was going through a transition at the time, and they brought in a guy called Ben Frow from the UK. And he rocked into TV3, and he said, why have we no drama on the schedule? And they were like, oh, well, we've never done drama. And he said, well, we're doing it now. The BAI round 
was in six days at this point. And he had an idea for a show that he picked up in Britain that he wanted to get a writer to do. And it was called School Run. And he put a blanket message out to everyone going, we need it for the BAI in six days. Is there any production company will sink their teeth into it and get us like a Bible, a script, you know, everything. And everybody laughed him out of it going, that's impossible. But this girl rang me and she said, look, you're really super quick. It's probably not going to happen. It's way too tight. Would you give it a go? And I said, 100%, send me everything. And I stayed at my computer and I am not messing. The only time I got up was to go to the loo. <laughs> that was pretty much it. <laughs> Everything else was done on that computer. And between myself and the production company, we had the Bible, we had the full pilot, we had the breakdown of episode, we had everything ready. We had budgets, we had the whole thing within the six days and went into the BAI. I never thought in a million years we'd get the money. We got the money. We couldn't believe it. It was just, and by the way, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like honesty. <laughs> no, yeah, like it was basically a radio play that I had written. <laughs> I hadn't a clue what I was doing, but they liked the characters and they liked the laugh and they went, we'll take a chance on her. So anyway, um, we got an editor and that's how I met my friend Alan and we got it together and he turned it from a radio play into a television program. And we did a one-off show for their Christmas and, and I learned a huge amount. I mean, I was absolutely learning on my feet. And then I went back to books and I just got so swamped with the books and everything going on that I kind of stayed in that lane for a while. And then the recession hit and every dog, duck and devil in the world stopped buying books on the very same day. Right. <laughs> so no territory was going anyway. And I was looking at the money running down going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I started a sample and I did this sample called The Pen. And it was about two Irish detectives. And I sent it everywhere and I got loads of interest. And then what happened was my friend again, Alan, went for an interview with uh, Simon Harper in Holby City as an editor. And Simon said at the end of the interview, he said, any chance you know of any writers or looking specifically for female writers? And he said, I'm going to send you a, a sample today and I want you to read it. He read the sample and I was on the... I was on the scheme, the shadow scheme within, I think, two months. And I had my first episode written uh, a month later for the show. And then I did about three or four episodes for them. Amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Like it was the look of God, really. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. And do you enjoy it? Which which do you enjoy more, maybe? Or is that unfair? It's like asking you to choose between your dogs. Um, um, I I love them all. I mean, I I I you know they're all different. So um, fiction, I have such freedom. You know, I'm I'm just in my own world. And until my editor gets at it at the very end, and then she'll work with me. But telling the story, I'm completely on my own. I'm, I'm completely in my own world. Like my husband always says that when I'm writing a book, a book, it looks like I'm having a breakdown because he passes me and I'm there in the kitchen, like my office is in the kitchen. So he's coming and going and, and he's like, one minute you're laughing and, I'm, ah! and the next minute I'm crying, crying and typing and crying and typing and sneezing and sniffing. And then I'm cracking up laughing again. And he just says, you know, it really is quite insane. <laughs> I am in that world and I don't care. <laughs> like I am living it. Um, TV is, uh, it takes a village. 
So you're 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 doing your beat sheet, and then you've got your producers on you, and you've got your ed- you've got your editors, you've got your directors. It is a process that you are working with everybody at all stages. It's also show don't tell, so it's a completely different um, way of working, um, a completely different structure. And I, I love it. I mean, I just love working with people and I love getting excited when, you know, I have a scene and somebody said, but what if you did it this way? And I go, oh my God, that's so much better. I just love that. Um, and then the kids, what I love about the kids is, is that it's just joyful. It's just, it's fun and it's escapism. And it brings me back to when I was a kid and and my favorite promotion in the world to do I did the first book last year and I promoted it and I got in my car and I drove to half the schools in Ireland and I did a, a reading and breathed the laugh with the kids honest to god it was my favorite promotion ever because the questions they would ask and the teachers would be down the back of the class going tittering at the back exactly and what age group was was that book that book was fearless five eight to kind of twelves but you know that it's that but I mean there was one school I went to and it was classic and there was one little kid so all the kids were asking really relevant questions to the book and they're all stuck into it but there's this little kid and he puts his hand up in the glass and uh, the teacher goes there you are I'd say we'll call him Michael right there you are Michael and he goes um is there good money in that and uh, I said oh yeah no I'm loaded and all the class started laughing the teacher started laughing and he goes grant and then then five minutes pass and the others are asking questions and then he puts up his hand again and he goes like how much would you have in your account exactly (laughs) and the teacher's like do not ask that question how dare you right so the next thing is more questions come in and he puts up his hand again right and I go yes love and he goes what car do you drive We know another what path this kid, child is another, going on. Yeah, exactly. Another kid in another school put his hand up and he goes, are you from Mrs. Boy- Brown's Boys uh, show? And I was like, Mrs. Brown's Boys? Am I from that <laughs> He was like, yeah, are you? I was like, no. <laughs> the teacher giving him the dagger eyes. Exactly. And I assume after all of that, because you enjoyed it so much, there's more kids books in the pipeline, is there? Yeah. There is. Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pitching one at the moment. So, uh, yeah, a little fantasy adventure. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else are you working on at the minute? So I am currently working on, uh, I'm, I'm editing my next adult fiction uh, book. Uh, t- we're working title is Mother on that. And now today I've just sent off uh, a beat sheet for a uh, Canadian, or no, not Canadian. That was last week a New Zealand co-pro um, that is really exciting, actually. It's a detective show, and it's basically what uh, a, a couple, an Irish couple, go missing in a town, a kind of tourist town in New Zealand, on the North Island, and a Irish detective is brought over to liaise with the local cops. So it's based in New Zealand, and then you've got Irish characters being brought in and uh, so I'm co-writing it with a New Zealand writer Michael Bennett I am having a ball working with him and uh, we have written the first episode now we're uh, about to start the second episode and what's really good about that is a New Zealand I love New Zealand my family actually all emigrated to New Zealand um, 
and I'm the only one left here. So uh, that's really cool. So I know New, Ze New Zealand well. But also what's really good about it is that uh, New Zealand is the only country that can actually possibly shoot in the next God knows how long. <laughs> in so COVID. That's quite, yeah, that's quite cool. So we, you know, we're we're kind of, I, as I say, it's, <laughs> it's me being glass half full. Hooray! <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, the concept sounds amazing. So really looking forward to, to seeing that on the screen. And then finally, before we let you go, any advice for, you know, people who are writing at the moment, trying to write? You know, you've got a great backstory there. If you were doing it again, how would you do it? Oh, do a course. God, please do a course. Um, do a course and don't give up. Do not give up. If you are passionate about this and you have a story that you want to tell and or stories, tell them. Do not take no for an answer. What you do need to do is listen to criticism from professionals. Listen to professionals. Don't take it personally. I know it's hard. I know it's your baby. But the professionals know what they're talking about. And if you listen to them and you do work their notes, you will get further along. And the thing about writing is that you need to be able to take notes. So start from now. Take the notes. Use them to your advantage and keep forging ahead. Don't listen to people who don't know what they're talking about. If they're not in the business, they just have an opinion. That's different from somebody who knows what they're talking about. So keep on going and be, make great friends with the delete button. <laughs> <laughs> Anna McPartland, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find Anna's book below the big blue sky in your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at InsideBooksIRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Breed O'Brien. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 